Chapter Three of A Country Doctor by Sarah Orne Jewett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three, at Jake and Martin's. In the meantime, the evening had been much enjoyed by the brothers who were spending it together in Martin Dyer's kitchen. The houses stood side by side, but Mr. Jacob Dyer's youngest daughter, the only one now left at home, was receiving a visit from her lover or, as the family expressed it, the young man who was keeping company with her, and her father, mindful of his own youth, had kindly withdrawn. Martin's children were already established in homes of their own, with the exception of one daughter who was at work in one of the cotton factories at Lowell, in company with several of her acquaintances. It has already been said that Jake and Martin liked nobody's company so well as their own. Their wives had a time-honored joke about being comparatively unnecessary to their respective partners and indeed the two men had a curiously dependent feeling toward each other. It was the close sympathy which twins sometimes have each to each, and had become a byword among all their acquaintances. They were seldom individualized in any way, and neither was able to distinguish himself, apparently, for one always heard of the family as Jake and Martin's folks, and of their possessions, from least to greatest, as belonging to both brothers. The only time they had ever been separated was once in their early youth, when Jake had been fired with a desire to go to sea. But he deserted the coastwise schooner in the first port and came home because he could not bear it any longer without his brother. Martin had no turn for seafaring, so Jake remained ashore and patiently made a farmer of himself, for love's sake, and in spite of a great thirst for adventure that had never ceased to fever his blood. It was astonishing how much they found to say to each other when one considers that their experiences were almost constantly the same, but nothing contented them better than an uninterrupted evening spent in each other's society, and as they hoed corn or dug potatoes or mowed, or as they drove to the corners, sitting stiffly upright in the old-fashioned thorough-braced wagon, they were always to be seen talking as if it were the first meeting after a long separation. But having taken these quiet times for the discussion of all possible and impossible problems, they were men of fixed opinions, and were ready at a moment's warning to render exact decisions. They were not fond of society as a rule. They found little occasion for much talk with their neighbors, but used as few words as possible. Nobody was more respected than the brothers. It was often said of them that their word was their bond, and as they passed from youth to middle age, and in these days were growing to look like elderly men, they were free from shame or reproach, though not from much good-natured joking and friendly fun. Their farm had been owned in the family since the settlement of the country, and the house which Martin occupied was very old. Jake's had been built for him when he was married, from timber cut in their own woodlands, and after thirty years of wear it looked scarcely newer than its companion. And when it is explained that they had married sisters, because, as people said, they even went courting together, it will be easy to see that they had found life more harmonious than most people do. Sometimes the wife of one brother would complain that her sister enjoyed undue advantages and profits from the estate, but there was rarely any disagreement, and Mrs. Jake was mistress of the turkeys, and Mrs. Martin held sway over the hens, while they divided the spoils amiably at Thanksgiving time when the geese were sold. If it were a bad year for turkeys, and the tender young were chilled in the wet grass while the hens flourished steadily the season through, Mrs. Jake's spirits drooped, and she became envious of the good fortune which flaunted itself before her eyes. But, on the whole, they suffered and enjoyed together, and found no fault with their destinies. The two wives, though the affection between them was of an ordinary sort, were apt to form a league against the brothers, 
and this prevented a more troublesome rivalry which might have existed between the households. Jake and Martin were particularly enjoying the evening. Some accident had befallen the cooking-stove, which the brothers had never more than half approved, it being one of the early patterns, and a poor exchange for the ancient methods of cookery in the wide fireplace. The women had had a natural desire to be equal with their neighbors, and knew better than their husbands did the difference that this useful invention had made in their everyday work. However, this one night the conservative brothers could take a mild revenge, and when their wives were well on their way to Mrs. Thatcher's, they had assured each other that if the plaguy thing were to be carried to the corners in the morning to be exchanged or repaired, it would be as well to have it in readiness, and had quickly taken down its pipes and lifted it as if it were a feather to the neighboring woodshed. Then they hastily pried away a fireboard which closed the great fireplace, and looked smilingly upon the crane and its pot-hooks and the familiar iron dogs which had been imprisoned there in darkness for many months. They brought in the materials for an old-fashioned fire, backlog, forestick, and crow-sticks, and presently seated themselves before a crackling blaze. Martin brought a tall, brown pitcher of cider from the cellar, and set two mugs beside it on the small table, and for some little time they enjoyed themselves in silence, after which Jake remarked that he didn't know but they'd got full enough of a fire for such a mild night, but he wished his own stove and the new one too could be dropped into the river for good and all. They put the jug of cider between the andirons, and then, moved by a common impulse, drew their chairs a little farther from the mounting flames, before they quenched their thirst from the mugs. "'I call that pretty cider,' said Martin. "'Tis young yet, but it has got some weight already, and tis smooth. There's a sight of difference between good upland fruit and the sposhy apples that grows in wet ground. And I take it that the barrel has an influence. Some barrels kind of wilt cider, and some smarten it up and keep it hardy. Lord, what stuff some folks are willing to set before you! Tain't worth the name of cider, nor no better than the rinsins of a vinegar cask. And then there's the weather, too, agreed Mr. Jacob Dyer. Had ought to be took into consideration. Get your apples just in the right time, not too early to taste of the tree, nor too late to taste of the ground, and just in the snap of time as to ripeness, on a good sharp day with the sun a-shining. Have em into the press, and what comes out is cider. I think if we've had any fault in years past, twas puttin' off making a little too late. But I don't see as this could be beat. I don't know's you feel like a pipe, but I believe I'll light up. And thereupon a good portion of black-looking tobacco was cut and made fine in each of the hard left hands, and presently the clay pipes were touched off with a live coal, and great clouds of smoke might have been seen to disappear under the edge of the fireplace, drawn quickly up the chimney by the draught of the blazing fire. Jacob pushed back his chair another foot or two, and Martin soon followed, mentioning that it was getting hot, but it was well to keep out the damp. "'What set the women out to go traipsin' up to Thatcher's folks?' inquired Jacob, holding his cider mug with one hand and drumming it with the finger-ends of the other. "'I had an idee that they wanted to find out if anything had been heard about Adeline's getting home for Thanksgiving,' answered Martin, turning to look shrewdly at his brother. "'Women folks does suffer if there's anything going on they can't find out about.' Liza said she was going to invite Miss Thatcher and John to eat a piece of our big turkey, but she didn't suppose they'd want to leave. Curious about Adeline, ain't it? I expect when her husband died she'd be right back here with what she'd got, at any rate till she'd raised the child to some size. There'd be no expense here to what she'd have elsewhere, and here's her mom beginning to age. She can't do what she used to do, John was telling of me, and I don't doubt it has worn upon her more than most folks thinks. I don't lay no great belief that John'll get home from court, said Jacob Dyer. 
They say that court's going to set till Christmas, maybe. There's an awful string of cases on the docket. Oh, it was you told me, wasn't it? Most like they'll let up for a couple of days for Thanksgiving, but John mightn't think it was worth his while to travel here and back again, lest he had something to do before winter shuts down. Perhaps they'll prevail upon the old lady. I wish they would, I'm sure, but an only daughter forsaken her so. "'Twas most too bad of Adeline. She always had dreadful high notions when she wasn't no more than a baby, and, good conscience, how she liked to rig up when she first used to come back from Lowell. Better have put her money out to interest. "'I believe in young folks making all they can of theirselves,' announced Martin, puffing hard at his pipe and drawing a little farther still from the fireplace, because the scorching red coals had begun to drop beneath the forestick. "'I've give my children the best push forward I could,' and you've done the same. Adeline had a dreadful craven to be something more in common, but it don't look as if she was going to make out any great. T'was unfortunate, her losing of her husband, but I suppose you've heard hints that they wasn't none too equal-minded. She'd a done better to have worked on a while to Lowell, and got forehanded, and then married some likely young fellow and settled down here, or to the corners if she didn't want to farm it. There was Jim Hall used to be hanging round, and she'd been full as well off today if she'd took him, too. "'Tain't no use for folks to marry one that's of another kind and belongs different. It's like two fiddles that plays different tunes. You can't make nothing on it, no matter if both on em's trying their best, lest one on em beats the other down entirely and has all the say, and generally tis the worst one does it. Adeline's husband wasn't nothing to boast of, from all we can gather, but they didn't think alike about nothing. She could have done well with him if there had been more of her.' I don't marvel his folks felt bad. Adeline didn't act right by him. Nor they by her, said the twin brother. I tell you, Adeline would have done him credit if she'd been let. I seem to think how it was with her. When she was there to work in the shop, she thought would be smart to marry him, and then she'd be a lady for good and all. And all there was of it, she found his folks felt put out and hurt, and instead of pleasing him up and doing the best she could, she didn't know no better than to aggravate him. She was wrong there but I hold to it that if they'd pleased her up a little and done well by her, she'd a bloomed out and fell right in with their ways. She's got outward ambitions enough, but I view it she was all a part of his foolishness to them. I dare say they gave her the blame of the whole on it. Adeline ought to had the sense to see they had some right on their side. Folks say he was the smartest fellow in his class to college. Good King Agrippy, how hot it does get, said Jake, rising indignantly, as if the fire alone were to blame. I must shove back the cider again, or it will boil over, spite of everything. But it is called unwholesome to get a house full of damp in the fall of the year, twill freeze and thaw on the walls all winter. I must get me a new pipe if we go to the corners tomorrow. I suppose I have told you of a pipe a man had aboard that schooner that time I went to sea. Martin gave a little grumble of assent. Twas made of some sort of whitish stuff, like clay, but twasn't shaped like none else I ever see, and it had a silver trimmin' round it. "'Twas very light to handle, and it drawed most excellent. "'I always kind of expected he may have stole it. "'He was a hard-looking customer, a Dutchman, "'or from some of them parts of the earth. "'I wish, while I was about it, I'd gone one trip more.' "'Was it you was telling me that Adeline was to work again in Lowell? "'I shouldn't think her husband's folks would want the child "'to be fetched up there in them boarding houses.' "'But like they don't,' responded Jacob. But when they get Adeline to come round to their ways of thinking now, after what's been and gone, they'll have cause to thank themselves. She's just like her great-grandsire Thatcher. You can see she's made out of the same stuff. 
You might have burnt him at the stake, and he'd stick to it he liked it better and hang in. I always meant to die that way. There's an awful bad streak in them thatchers, and you know it as well as I do. I expect they'll be bad and good thatchers to the end of time. I'm glad for the old lady's sake that John ain't one of the drinkin' ones. Adeline'll give no favors to her husband's folks, nor take none. There's plenty of wrongs to both sides, but as I view it, the longer he'd lived, the worse twould been for him. She was a well-made, pretty-looking girl, but I tell you, twas like setting a laylock bush to grow beside an elm tree, and expecting of em to keep together. They wasn't mates. He'd had a different fetching up, and he was different, and I wasn't surprised when I come to see how things had turned out. I believe I shall have to set the door open half a minute. It's getting dreadful. But there was a sudden flurry outside, and the sound of heavy footsteps, the bark of the startled cur, who was growing very old and a little deaf, and Mrs. Martin burst into the room and sank into the nearest chair to gather a little breath before she could tell her errand. "'For God's sake, what's happened?' cried the men. They presented a picture of mingled comfort and misery, at which Mrs. Martin would have first laughed and then scolded at any other time. The two honest red faces were well back toward the farther side of the room from the fire, which still held its own. It was growing toward low tide in the cider jug and its attendant mugs, and the pipes were lying idle. The mistress of the old farmhouse did not fail to notice that high treason had been committed during her short absence, but she made no comment upon the fireplace nor on anything else, and gasped as soon as she could that one of the men must go right up to the corners for the doctor and hurry back with him, for twas a case of life and death. "'Miss Thatcher? Was it a shock?' asked the brothers in sorrowful haste, while Mrs. Martin told the sad little story of Adeline's having come from nobody knew where, wet and forlorn, carrying her child in her arms. She looked as if she were in the last stages of a decline. She had fallen just at the doorstep, and they had brought her in, believing she was dead. "'But while there's life, there's hope,' said Mrs. Martin, "'and I'll go back with you if you'll harness up. Jacob must stop to look after this great fire, or it will burn the house down.' And this was the punishment which befell Jacob, since nothing else would have kept him from also journeying toward the Thatcher house. A little later the bewildered horse had been fully wakened and harnessed. Jacob's daughter and her lover had come eagerly out to hear what had happened. Mrs. Martin had somehow found a chance amidst all the confusion to ascend to her garret in quest of some useful remedies in the shape of herbs, and then she and her husband set forth on their benevolent errands. Martin was very apt to look on the dark side of things, and it was a curious fact that while the two sisters were like the brothers, one being inclined to despondency and one to enthusiasm, the balance was well kept by each of the men having chosen his opposite in temperament. Accordingly, while Martin heaved a great sigh from time to time and groaned softly, poor gal, poor gal, his partner was brimful of zealous eagerness to return to the scene of distress and sorrow which she had lately left. Next to the doctor himself, she was the authority on all medical subjects for that neighborhood, and it was some time since her skill had been needed. "'Does the young one seem likely?' asked Martin, with solemn curiosity. "'Far as I could see,' answered his wife promptly, but nobody took no great notice of it. Poor Adeline catched hold of it with such a grip as she was coming to that we couldn't get it away from her, and had to fetch him in both to once. Come urge the beast along, Martin. I'll give you the particulars to-morrow. I do knows Adeline's livin' now. We got her right to beds, I told you, and I set right off, considerin' that I could get over the ground fastest of any. Miss Thatcher, of course, wouldn't leave, and Jane's heavier than I be. Martin's smile was happily concealed by the darkness. His wife and her sister had both grown stout, steadily, as they grew older, but each insisted upon the other's greater magnitude, and consequent incapacity for quick movement. A casual observer would not have been persuaded that there was a pound's weight of difference between them. 
Martin Dyer meekly suggested that perhaps he'd better go in a minute to see if there was anything Miss Thatcher needed, but Eliza, his wife, promptly said that she didn't want anything but the doctor as quick as she could get him, and disappeared up the short lane while the wagon rattled away up the road. The white mist from the river clung close to the earth, and it was impossible to see even the fences near at hand, though overhead there were a few dim stars. The air had grown somewhat softer, yet there was a sharp chill in it, and the ground was wet and sticky underfoot. There were lights in the bedroom and in the kitchen of the Thatcher house, but suddenly the bedroom candle flickered away and the window was darkened. Mrs. Martin's heart gave a quick throb. Perhaps Adeline had already died. It might have been a short-sighted piece of business that she had gone home for her husband. End of chapter 3